Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we watch the 2011 independent film Cloudburst. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but it probably helps if you have seen the film. Spoiler alert, Rob and I both really enjoyed this film, so if you haven't seen it, go watch it right now. Enjoy. Good evening. Hi. Hello. How's it going, man? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I have missed your wonderful face very, very much. I've missed your um, terrifying black and white profile picture that has now been replaced by a nice photo of you against some some green, which I believe I took with my nice camera. You did, yeah. It was it was some of the old Palomino Club photos that you took. It's uh, one of my favourite photographs of me. Yeah, the you light falls on your face. In a... uh, are you you're all about the neck these days? Are you? I am. Yeah, I like. I am currently wearing a V-neck shirt. You can't see from here, um, but yeah, I'm. Uh, I've I've got the V-neck on today. Um, I, I would like to V-neck welcome guy. you back. You've never been a V-neck guy. No, well, at school, like we had to wear V-necks, and then that kind of soured it for me because they just like the tie would always fall weird. And yeah, I guess you don't have to wear a tie, but yeah, I've never. I always put them on, and then I'm like, yeah, oh, this is this is weird. Oh uh, right, okay. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the V-neck. Um, I would I would like to welcome you back into uh, the UK. Thank you. Um, which has. It has become more of a shit show than it was when you uh, when you left. Oh, um, understandably, because uh, Paddy Johnston was out of the country. Um, this is true. So immediately, the quality of life in the UK did decline considerably. Yeah, although we managed to keep this podcast out to the regular schedule, so I think we did well on that. Actually, it's Thursday as we record this, so we haven't had any break. I will get this episode up in time for tomorrow. So. We haven't had any break. The regular service has continued. So I wanted everyone to feel like I hadn't been away. But I guess we kind of let it slip with the sensation supercut. So hopefully people were able to listen to that and get their fix of me. And then maybe go and watch some diners, drive-ins and dives to, to ease the pain. Yeah. I mean, I, I am the biggest victim of you being out of the out of the country because um, everybody else has had their Johnston fix courtesy of the podcast episodes, whereas I've been left on my own. Johnstonless. This just, is true. Just under my breath, every um, under my breath, every so often, just singing, Paddy, Paddy Johnston, Paddy Johnston, <laughs> Paddy, Paddy Johnston. <laughs> yeah. So you haven't even had a single Johnston, let alone a, a double Johnston. No, no, no. I, I, there was there was a, a complete absence of, of Johnston. There was zero Johnston. Although there is now a double Johnston under the roof of this house where I record this, because since we last talked, I got married. You were there. It was kind of a big, it was a huge day. It was great. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Not only were you there, you ushered, which is a big deal. You wore a top hat and you made a lot of things happen. Ran around after people chasing them, shouting at members of my family to get on coaches and such. So, you know, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. It was good. 
Oh, that's quite all right. Everyone was very well behaved. Yeah. Um, it was one of the one of the happiest weekends of my life. It oh. was a lovely, lovely time. Me too, man. Me too. Um, you remember my great uncle Frank oh. was filming on his little video camera. Yes. He um, has made it into a DVD for us. Um, no, he hasn't really edited it, but he sort of edits on the fly. Like he'll commentate something for two seconds and then quick off. And then he knows what he's going to say. And he goes on, says his line, and then it's off. So it's like, we've got our wedding video with his commentary. And then at the at the end of the video, he's um, he's go, he's, it cuts to like what he's written in like his fancy old handwriting, the end on a bit of paper. And he's put it, he's just fixed the camera on that. And then in the background, it's playing when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. That's amore, and it's like, you can hear it playing on the stereo. And like you, it, the whole song plays out before he stops filming, but you can hear him like clattering around in the background and stuff. That's amazing. <laughs> it's great. I'll... I I, I don't mind that we can can we watch that for the podcast? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a romantic film for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'd say the most romantic film. Yeah, of of all time. Of all time, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know what, I was hoping to come back and be like, oh, I watched all these films on the plane, but I took, I, I've taken, would you believe, in the last two and a bit, two and a half weeks, eight flights. And I didn't watch a film on a single one. Oh, really? Yeah. What did you do on your flights then? I, just, I read a bunch of books about baseball or tried unsuccessfully to sleep or just looked out the window. But... um. Yeah, the first the first two, the screen was broken, or the first one, the screen was broken, and then the audio jack was broken. So they, those were kind of the long ones, and the others were mostly like intra-island flights between all the islands in Hawaii. But we, um, I can't remember if I told you over text already, but on the way back, our flight got cancelled. We were originally supposed to go um, from Maui to LA and LA back to London, and instead um, they rerouted us after some complaining to back to Honolulu through from Honolulu overnight to Las Vegas and then the next flight was like overnight from Las Vegas to Heathrow so I've never been to Las Vegas so I unexpectedly got some time in Las Vegas so I was walking down the street and we went down to the strip and I was like there's got to be some Guy Fieri stuff here there's got to be some Guy Fieri yeah two minutes later we run into the Guy Fieri restaurant it's literally just called oh, Guy man. Fieri's we did we didn't eat there because we didn't have much much cash left we went to In-N-Out Burger instead which was pretty good but there's there's lots of huge pictures of Guy Fieri around. I, I'll put one up as the like the podcast artwork or something because it was great. So it's good to know that you know. So what guys being appreciated. What you're saying is that my next trip abroad has to be to Las Vegas. Yes. To eat at Guy Fieri's every day for all <laughs> yeah. meals. I wonder if you do that if they give you some kind of discount or if you can get like a like a membership like a gym membership. I think you get your frosted tips. Yeah, <laughs> the the frosted tip discount. It's like how in Amer- in the US they're obsessed with giving discounts to the military and everything. It's like yeah, frosted tips. Thank you for your service to fashion. I I think if you go there, if you go there for every meal on the first day, you get frosted tips. On the second day, they give you the goatee. Yeah. On the third day, they give you like an ex- extravagant shirt, and then on the fourth day. Through some kind of eldritch magic, you just start talking like Guy Fieri. Yeah. And you can never stop. You can't help yourself. You don't know what's happening. Yeah, it just it, that's just what happens. Yeah. That's what you get. Which, you know, is a dream of mine. <laughs> yeah. I was going to go shades before shirt in your timeline. 
like maybe give it a couple of extra days because he always has the shades and they're often on the back of his head as well even like we um we ended up watching a couple of episodes of diners drive-ins and dives in a hotel room when we were really tired because it was just on and espn was showing not regular baseball but endless little league world series which starts to feel a bit weird after a while watching like 10 year olds who are way better than you at the sport that you like <laughs> um so we yeah we watched a couple of episodes of diners drive-ins and dives and like often the shades were hanging off the back of his head like dangling perilously close to the bottom of the neckline like if he made one more extravagant move they might have fallen off into a bucket of coleslaw or something but they always magically stay there it's it's a gift it's a gift it's because they're, they're actually attached to him. They're part of his actual body. <laughs> the Fieri anatomy. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> what, what happens is, one day Guy Fieri, he woke up and he thought to, my, he thought to himself, oh, I'm not saying this is the best morning I've ever had. And then he stopped himself because he felt this weird pain in the back of his neck. And so he sort of moved up off his pillow and he felt the back of his neck. And then there were some shades there that he had not fallen asleep with. And they had grown overnight. And all he can do is pivot them either over his eyes or behind himself. Yeah. And and that's all he can do. It's like, um, yeah, like a sort of weird growth. Yeah, it's what you get from eating too many hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. You could, um, you could probably have it, like, amputated or medically removed, but... You know, the healthcare situation in America is so dire that probably even Guy Fieri can't afford health insurance. No, it's true. But by now, he's more sunglassed than man anyway. Yeah. We saw um, only one um, kind of Trump make America great again car thing in Hawaii. I mean, Hawaii was the the most democratic state. It was like 95% for Hillary or something. Um, but when we were at the National Park on the Big Island, um, this truck pulled up and it had like um, a plastic eagle, like almost life-size eagle on the dashboard. Um, next to it was a Make America Great Again hat. And on the side of the truck, um, a thing that said, keep Christ in Christmas. And there were a bunch of other like right-wing slogans all dotted around it. I think there wasn't a Confederate flag, but I wouldn't have been surprised. But we only saw one the, the whole time pretty much so so that was that was good it, it would be a it'd be a very ballsy move to have a confederate flag in hawaii yeah i don't <laughs> think it'd know, go that would well. be really you i don't think you'd be able to claim that that's to do with history no nah. if, if you had a confederate flag <laughs> i mean I, you I, know I, who really really loved trump by the way who Guy scientologists oh love, scientologists love trump yeah, they did this. They did this breakdown of the vote in California, and California obviously voted overwhelmingly for for the Democrats. Um, but there was this little pocket which voted for Donald Trump, and it's actually like the Scientologist compound area of California. So the Scientologists love a bit of Trump. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, he is it. So do, but so do like flat earthers and all those those kind of people. Our favorite kinds of people. They all love Trump as well, don't they? Because He's the only kind of influential world figure of authority who's even willing to entertain all their wackadoodle ideas, right? That in itself is enough to inspire yeah. love and devotion, I think. I suppose that might be part of it, yeah. I just find it odd because, like, I think if Trump had a chance, he'd probably kill all the Scientologists. Yeah. If, if he didn't think anyone would notice, he'd, he'd, he'd bin them all off. 
Yeah, because I don't think they're making America great again, are they? The Scientologists. They're kind of getting in the way. They're distracting no. people. Make make Xenu great again. <laughs> Xenu. Is that a thing? Who's Xenu? It it is a thing. Xenu is uh I can't remember. Um Scientology has a lot of really wacky law. Um very, very wacky law. I can't remember if Xenu is the evil overlord of the galaxy <laughs> or Xenu is the the planet. Let's have a little look here. Xenu, ontology founder Elron Hubbard, the dictator of the Galactic Confederacy, who 75 million years ago brought billions of his people to Earth, then known as Tegiak, <laughs> in spacecraft, stacked them around volcanoes and killed them with hydrogen bombs. The director of the Galactic uh, so Confederation. Xenu... That sounds more Star Wars than anything on Star Wars. Yeah, Xenu's the kind of... I, I mean, I mean, L. Ron Hubbard's writing is basically just, like, shit science fiction. Yeah. So, like, it is just, like... It's, like, a third-rate Star Wars anyway. But it does feel like, you know, those bad 80s movies that ripped off Star Wars? Yeah. That that sounds like something out of one of those bad 80s movies that ripped off Star Wars, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's a shame that none of those films are kind of so bad they're good either. Most of them are just really terrible. And there's something like yeah, really there's... crushingly disappointing about bad science fiction, isn't there? If it's not so bad, you can laugh at it. It really does leave one feeling quite bereft, I would say. Yeah, there's a couple of them that are great. Um, there's I've forgotten the name of it, but there's this movie that basically they decided to cross together Conan the Barbarian and Star Wars. Okay. So it starts off starts off with this guy. He's called like Zor the Barbarian of the Future or something like that. If anyone knows the name of this movie, please write in and let us know. And so the first like fifty minutes of this movie is basically like a Conan-esque thing where this grunting bloke goes around sleeping with barbarian women and beating up dinosaurs. <laughs> Um, then all of a sudden there's some lasers and it turns out that this guy like crash landed on this planet where like half of the humans are like acting like barbarians and acting like cavemen and then the other half are like the galactic empire and so he goes on this rampage and starts destroying the galactic empire with the help of some goodies and it's amazing so like halfway through you go from like oh yeah this is like conan and then all of a sudden oh look yeah go on go on arnold schwarzenegger skywalker fucking kill those guys <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger Skywalker that's what I'm going to call my son <laughs> I've already established that if I ever have kids uh, the first born is going to be called Megatron and yep. the second one is going to be called Rob Jr or Robina if it's a girl Robina that, that, that's what's happening that I think sounds close yeah. enough to get a sponsorship deal from Rybina if she's a very promising young tennis star so yeah exactly you know i mean the way that i think about it is you know we're never going to be able to retire we're going to be working until the day we die so what we need to make sure we do is we need to make sure that we have enough children so that at least one of them is going to be successful enough to take care of us when they're old yeah and i i think this is a foolproof plan of action is just keep knocking out sprogs until one of them is successful enough to take care of you yeah it's it's a law of averages isn't it yeah, eventually you're going to get a millionaire kid. Yeah, million dollar baby. That's what that film's about, right? 
it's definitely not a really depressing movie about about boxing it's 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 a it's a wacky family romp about people just having kids over and over again until one of them happens to be successful yeah it's a Uh, bit like boss baby (laughs) everyone on the plane was watching boss baby why why are people so such like morons like just everyone on the plane there were so many there were lots of like really good looking films on there like hidden figures claire watched that while i was sleeping um yeah it was gifted which apparently was very good as well there was all sorts of stuff there's guardians of the galaxy one and two but obviously i couldn't watch it because the screen was broken so i think i'm I'm never going to see guardians of the galaxy i just have to accept that i'm never going to watch it we will watch it i will come round with guardians of the galaxy and we should watch it together deal we could have a um James, we could have a James Gunn day where we watch um Super that would be Guardians of the Galaxy and some of his other movies. That would be awesome actually. That would be really good. But yeah, everyone was watching The Boss Baby. Like that like you can just tell from the trailers or even the clips that that's obviously one of the worst films ever made. <laughs> and I say this as someone who really, has a lot really of time bad. for Alec Baldwin. I think he's great, but he has done some nonsense and this is some nonsense. It, it, it looks absolutely awful. Um, like, I mean, I'm not one of those people that judges a movie. I'm very picky about a movie after I've started watching it, but I'll generally give anything a go Yeah, based on watching a trailer. I'll be like, oh, I can see how this could be good. Um, but like, I, Boss Baby is one of those few movies that I have zero interest in watching. Like, literally zero interest. Yeah. Same with me and Dunkirk. Just... Can't be asked. Dun- Dunkirk is actually very, very good from a purely um, artistic standpoint. It has zero characters, has zero dialogue. It's really tense and uncomfortable to watch, but it's amazing at the same time. It's yeah, it's 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 a good one. It's yeah. old. Uh, it's old Dunkirk. Cool. But for this for this episode, we went back to 2011, relatively recent, but not mainstream cinema. Um, with the film, the film Cloudburst. Um, you already texted me to say that you loved it, and I think I I really enjoyed it as well. So, let let's get down to it. All right, yeah. So yeah, spoiler alert! I bloody loved this movie. Who who recommended it to us? Uh, my friend Louise at work, um, who I have lunch with on a regular basis. I I was saying that oh, it would be good to get some LGBT films in there, and she asked her sister. Um, who is a lesbian for a list of films and this was apparently her favourite ever LGBT film so it came highly recommended but um, yeah as soon as well, I heard about v- it Thank you very much Louise and your sister That this, I love this film and I've never heard of it before so thank you for introducing us to it Yeah me too and I, I was sold kind of as soon as, soon as well as soon as she said Nova Scotia really because as you know I, I love me some Canada <laughs> but yeah she said two old ladies Nova Scotia road trip <laughs> Um, you know, beautiful scenery. I was I was immediately hooked at that point, but yeah, ev- everything about this film just really, really worked. And I think over overarchingly, it really served to illustrate to me how kind of how vapid and vacuous mainstream cinema is, because stories like this, where they're done so well and where they they portray intimacy in such a real and funny way, but in a way that is in no way sensationalized, um, it's just so good. And that 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 the way that that kind of cinema should be mainstream, but it's not. Would you agree with that? Yeah. It's one of those things where like in the minds of film producers, 
Cloudburst is a niche movie. Um, it is a a relatively slow burning, small scale movie about intimacy between an elderly lesbian couple. And like it completely miss and, and like the, the way that the film industry often thinks about movies like this, it completely misses like the what the core of this film is about. And like you said, this film is about intimacy and it's about relationships and it's it can be accessed on a universal level. Like unless you're a massive bigot, you're gonna fall in love with the two people in this film. Yeah. Um and the way that they interact speaks volumes. Um, and it and it does raise lots of really interesting um, issues about the perception of of, um, of lesbianism and um, of LGBT issues and things like that. But it does that alongside also telling this incredibly compelling story. Um, and I, I like I'd not heard of this film before. Um, and like I'm not I don't consider myself to be like a super film buff, but I know my way around movies quite well. Um, and this, yeah, it just came as a total surprise to me, and it's a it's a brilliant film. Yeah, same here. I mean, I think you're more you're more on the film buff scale than I am. Probably, I kind of jump in and out. I don't consider myself to know much about kind of stuff out stuff that outside of the mainstream, really. But yeah, I, I hadn't heard of this one. It really really took me by surprise in that way as well. But yeah, you're right. It manages to say a lot about the the portrayal and perception of lesbianism and of I think LGBT filmmaking in general with it being completely secondary to just a really really funny and engaging and romantic story um, and that I thought was was just really really just wonderful and it made it really a joy to watch and it made you you know think about all those all those things without having it without that being kind of really heavy-handed or everyone going like if it, if it was kind of mainstream perhaps everyone would be like this is this is a really big lesbian film but it didn't have to be that it was just a really really good love story that had really really positive lgbt messages as well yeah it just worked on every level for me yeah and it, it, it's wonderful and like everything about it just works so well the script has this real um like realism to it um, where all of the interactions, almost between everybody in the film, actually, I'd say, all of their in- interactions just seems so realistic, and it seems like something just taken straight out of real life. Even when they're um, like really even... like ridiculous as well. Like there's the hilarious scene when they get to. Um, so it's there's two um, two older ladies, um, Stella played by Olympia Dukakis, who is brilliant, um, and Dottie played by Brenda Fricker. It was both of them just absolutely fantastic performances. Um, and they find out that um, or Dottie gets ill and her only living relative is her granddaughter, who has never realized, even though they've lived together for 30 years, that they're lesbians um, and wants to go and take her and put her in a home. So Stella steals her and they run away to Canada from I think it's Maine. So it's not far up to um, to get married because and then back in the day you could get married in Canada. You couldn't get married in the US there. Um, and they pick up this hitchhiker who's a young man called Prentice, who's really, really, really well done. Um, there's a hilarious scene where they get back to Prentice's mum's house and his like horrible stepdad is there. And it's like he, there's a fast scene where he's naked and he's in the back of the truck and um, Dottie like literally, literally headbutts him in the penis. Um, and it's like a, it's one of the most hilarious fast scenes in in the history of film, in my opinion. But it feels completely real. 
And it's a real testament to the the filmmakers, obviously the writer and the producers and everyone's gift for for realistic and engaging storytelling. Yeah, you've got it bang on right there. Like there's there are these farcical scenes and there are these incredibly not not caricature style characters, but you know what I mean? They're all that some of the characters in this are very, very strong, but they all feel like the kind of eccentricities you get in real life. So like um so Stella, played by Olympia Dukakis, is a proper like fiery person. Um, constantly letting letting go with her acerbic wit and it's it's great like her character is fantastic in it you've got prentice who's just a complete oddball of a character this dancer um like with his wearing an open shirt pretty much consistently throughout the entire film um and and like they all just feel so real and like their interactions with each other feel so real even though it's like this cast of incredibly different characters they all just gel so well together and when there is friction the friction feels so like physical as well it's yeah it's it's wonderful absolutely wonderful yeah um olympia dukakis character stella she she swears a lot she uses a lot of a lot of cuss words so i think maybe don't watch this film if you're offended by cuss words and the c word and a lot of she swears very very creatively as well and you know she's it's almost like she's the kind of 70 year old lesbian malcolm tucker but she's really really (laughs) but what's so wonderful about it is that at no point does it ever feel gratuitous and i think we've talked about this before about the kind of gratuity line in film haven't we where it's so easy um to to be like this character's one trait is that she swears and that's it um and i guess it's about building two-dimensional and three-dimensional characters and not making that be the only thing because a lot of the the lines and the sort of really funny swearing that she says, if taken out of context, could well be in some kind of Rob Schneider gross-out movie. But um, because her character is built up really, really well and there are moments of tenderness between them that really, really work, the, the swearing is kind of doubly funny because it's not the focus of her character. Yeah, exactly. It's... it's um... You're completely bang on there about if this kind of character was in the wrong hands, it would have been just terrible. It would have, yeah, you you would have had Olympia Dukakis dropping the C-bomb and then like Rob Schneider as Prentice. Now get that horrible <laughs> image out of your head, turning vaguely to the camera fake slapping himself on the cheek and saying, you can't say that, you're an old lady. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there, you do get to see Prentice's bum, but not for at least half an hour after he's appeared on screen. Whereas if it if it was a Rob Schneider film, he'd be stood there naked by the side of the road anyway, like properly waggling. But as it is, when they when they drive up to Prentice, he's 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 got his shirt open and no like t shirt underneath, so he's, you can see his chest, and he's like wearing this jeans. He's got his like thumbs tucked into his jeans, so he's pushing them down, like almost to his like pube line. But there's, you can see nothing there, so you know that he probably had to shave a little bit off just to to make it so you couldn't see a bit of pube there, which is really great. His jeans are kind of they're <laughs> walking that line, and there's a kind of establishing shot for his character. It's really really great, and he gets in the car with them, and they're not really talking for a while at all. Like his character is really interesting because it emerges quite gradually over the film. There's very little dialogue for him initially. He's just kind of there with them. 
and they're they're all just kind of okay with it because you know you've picked up a hitchhiker that's it but they don't immediately really attend to developing his character which is good because that's probably how it would be if you picked up a weird hitchhiker in fact the first conversation they really have is about kd lang because all lesbians love kd lang <laughs> yeah, well, everybody loves KD Lang, don't they? Yeah, she's really, really great. In fact, there's an album, she made an album last year with Nico Case and Laura Veers, and it was one of my top 10 albums of the year, actually. It's really, really stirring and passionate and emotional, kind of slow alt country. I really uh, highly recommend it as well. It would have made a good soundtrack to this film, actually. Oh, yeah, no, it would have, it would have, it would have been a good one. Yeah, so Dottie, who is the the partner of Olympia Dukakis, she is blind. And it's established really, really well early on by you see them out in the morning and Stella is describing the, the cloud burst to her. So the, the scenery and all the clouds and everything. And it's shot in this really, really lovely kind of orange light. So yeah, all of the, the kind of character traits that matter, I think are established really well. And that's one of the, the kind of, that's how to do... T- it's it's a masterclass in how to establish characters well i think this film i i can't think of any any character who's established badly or where they feel one dimensional even like the the prim granddaughter who has very very little screen time um in relation to her you know her importance in the plot which is very important because it's her they're running away from but even then you can tell she turns up and she she loves her nona and she's trying to get her to go into the home and stuff and she doesn't mean anything by it and her husband is a cop who, you know, has always known that they're lesbians and he eventually re- reveals it to her and she denies it. And yeah, everything about the characters is just really, really, is done really, really well. Yeah. And, and it's worth pointing out, like it's it's effect, a very effectively written film, um, but also all of the performances in, in this film are great. Everyone knew exactly what role had been asked of them and performed it excellently. Um, and like this, this doesn't have many big names in it at all. This movie, um, the 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 granddaughter I recognised, and I wasn't sure where from. And I was like, where where do I know this actress from? Uh, 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 an actress called Kristen Booth. Um, and I realised she's in like one episode of Supernatural about ten years ago, huh. <laughs> and I recognise her from there. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's where she, that's where I know her from. Um, and like, but yeah, like all of the people in this movie, they, um, they, they do a great job. It, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal find, um, is. this film. Yeah. And when, when they're, um, looking at the clouds, she, she asks, um, Dottie asks her to describe them to you. She, she goes, there's a donkey carrying two nuns and a beagle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, who is your favorite character? Um, in this movie, I think I was most engaged by Stella actually because I really felt like it was her story first and foremost. Even though essentially the whole the whole plot is driven by um, Dottie's illness and they're kind of racing to get married in Canada, and it's like whether she will be the one taken off and put in a home. I felt like it was very much Stella's story, um, and she got the most screen time, and her performance was the most engaging of them all and the swearing and stuff was really was really funny and her character was really genuine and the the moments of intimacy in their relationship um that whether there was any any tension or any fighting or whatever you felt like were mostly 
driven by Stella and her very, very fiery personality. But there's um there's a really, really good moment um where they're they've they're they've got to get across the border into Canada and they've just got the one truck and they they say so they don't want to go as the three of them because she thinks that the police uh, are after her. And um, so Prentice drives the truck first with Dottie, leaves her like sitting in a chair <laughs> on a porch in some village and then goes back across. Oh, no, sorry. Before that, they, they decide that Dottie's going to hitchhike, that Stella's going to hitchhike on her own. Um, but um, he eventually has to go back for her because they realize that when she gets in the car with someone, they won't give her a lift because of her foul mouth, which turns out to be completely true. Um, but I think it's a little bit after that, <laughs> yeah. or maybe no, it's when they get to they get to Prentice's parents' house, um, and he's like, "Oh, you guys can just stay in the car." Um, and she goes, "Oh, you you don't want us to meet your family?" And he goes, "I just don't know how to explain you." And it's a shot of Stella, and she kind of just says it to herself. She goes, "I don't know how to explain myself," um, and she's like, she's half joking, but that for me was the absolute most important line in the film. Because I felt like the whole thing was her story of of trying to explain herself and trying to understand herself, um, you know, in in terms of, you know, trying to get her granddaughter to come to terms with her lesbianism and the, the desire to be married as well, obviously, which has been historically denied to, to same-sex couples for such a long time um, and all those kind of things. So it's, it is, in a way, about about identity and about all that kind of things and just kind of knowing yourself and understanding yourself through other people but it felt like um it felt like Stella's story and about her quest to explain herself through her love for Dottie and yeah that's why I think she was my favorite character because it was it was her story and it was really apparent that it was her story as well I think from the writing how about you no, I, I completely agree with, with everything you just said there. I think Stella without character. Um, I do have a really big place in my heart for Prentice, though, um, as like my second favorite in the movie. I think like every moment where he's on screen, there's just this like, he's like an excitable Labrador puppy. Yeah. Um, the way that he acts in the movie and like the way that he, he helps. Dotty uh, and Stella um, throughout the film um, in such a sweet way a lot of the time um, and like there's this there's this fleeting moment at the end of the movie where like they're going to take him back and he's going to be their carer together to help look after Dot and then help look after Stella as well and you're like oh my god that would be so nice and like in the back of your mind you kind of think there's no way that that's going to last there's no way that that's going to happen but you just really want it to because the three of them together have such a wonderful dynamic um so that even though there's the, there's 30 years of intimacy between uh, dot and stella um there's there's just this place for for prentice with them um and they form this amazing group together um and so yeah i do have a lot of time for old prentice as well and of course dot is is absolutely hilarious too yeah um a much more much less sort of cynical character than stella is um full of much more jade de vivre and um it, it, please ignore my terrible french pronunciation there by the way um and uh and it's it's yeah she she's a great character too i think like the three of them just have this really interesting dynamic together yeah definitely we haven't said that much about 
Dottie yet, but some of she's got some of the very very funny lines as well. She doesn't swear as much as um, as Stella, but she still has a lot of quite bawdy bawdy humour, which it's always done in the context of their own intimacy, which I think is why it's it's really funny and why it doesn't feel gratuitous is because it's always in the context of their intimacy. Like when you've you've been with someone for thirty one years. Um, you obviously do are allowed to say outrageous things because you know precisely where their limits are and what makes them laugh and that kind of thing. So having having that kind of window on a relationship like that through a film is a really good way to to engage that humour. And yeah, you need both of them for that. So like when um, she has that she has the fall and then the the fall is actually out of bed when they're sort of in the early stages of a really hilarious um, foreplay. Thing, which again could could easily end up feeling very very gratuitous because it's you know two old ladies and they're watching a porno and they're farting and stuff and then yeah she falls out of the bed and then the next day Stella's going to see her in the hospital and she wakes up she goes oh the doctors have given me bad news so it's six weeks before you can slap my ass again <laughs> <laughs> which you know kick things off in a really really nice way and that they're they're you know that their relationship is sexual, but it's um, it's always played like kind of downplayed and done for laughs. And there's there's a, a kind of a ball a boardiness to it that's very very funny. Yeah, yeah, I think, and they kind of like they touch on that again. It kind of touches on the realism of like, yes, everybody in a relationship has those sweet, tender, intimate sexual moments, or they have like fun, sexy moments. But then also there's like the kind of mundane hilarity sexual moments and this movie really sort of picks up on those in a really good way um i I can't say that i've ever experienced like getting a vibrator out and farting in a bed whilst watching pornography (laughs) but um it's it's the kind of thing that could happen you know yeah you never you never know what's going on behind (laughs) (laughs) you you never know what's going to happen in five years you know yeah yeah for sure and it's it's always refreshing to see older older actors, particularly women as well, acting with real energy and vigor, and you know, and their age as well. Not really it being a big part of the story, but it not them not appearing kind of old and tragic and past their prime. There's so much energy to their characters that isn't often put behind um, women and a- actors and actresses of age. I think in film as well. Well, there's that whole thing about if you're an actress in Hollywood, you have you go from love interest to playing a witch, and those that's that's your career. Um, and there's been lots of instances of like, look, this person played a love interest in various movies, and now she's played a witch. Yeah, or you end um, up playing it's really, it's really nice. the mother of someone who's three years younger than you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the, the the most recent one of this, and I'm not sure what the age gap is. I need to have a look. Um, the, on Spotify at the moment, there's been lots of adverts for this Tom Cruise movie. I don't know if you've been on Spotify recently. Uh, no, I have not. Um, it's some movie where he plays a pilot who, like, is a pilot and he's Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> you know. That it, sounds more like Tom... a Nicholas Cage film. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Um, it's called American Made, and he's a, he's, he's a pilot. And he becomes a pilot for the CIA, and he becomes a, a pilot for for drug, like drug barons. I think it's Pablo Escobar they mention in the trailer. Oh uh, right, yeah. Um, a drug pilot. And I'm just going to see. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a drug pilot. He doesn't have a ridiculous mustache, so I immediately 
don't believe <laughs> it. And okay, yeah, here we here we go. So the love interest in this movie, his wife, I think it's his wife, is played by Sarah Wright. Tom Cruise was born in 1962. Sarah Wright was born in 1983. So that gives us a 21-year age gap okay. between these two in this movie. And that's the kind of thing that happens in Hollywood all the time, is like women are... They're the love interest for much, much older men. Um, but then it very rarely happens the other way around. And even if there's a slight age gap between them, like um, in in the latest James Bond movie, um, Monica Bellucci plays the love interest for part of the film and he, she's older than Daniel Craig is. And like some of the Bond fans are a bit put out by this and they're like, she can't be James Bond's love interest. She's older than him, blah, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. Mm. And it's like, what the fuck's wrong with you weirdos? Like seriously, <laughs> what's wrong with you? I saw a tweet once that said James Bond is the golf of films. <laughs> Which, even though I like not all but some James Bond films, did really, really tickle me. Because some people are real, yeah, real nerds about it like that. Uh, the only ones I really like are Pierce Brosnan, because, you know, he was the first one that I saw, and I'm, I'm a Bronholm fan till I die. I I enjoy a good a good Bond movie, um, in that I particularly enjoy either the good movies or the really really bad movies. Yeah, um, although so like... Quantum of Solace is one of the worst films ever made. I'd I would rather watch The Boss Baby than watch Quantum of Solace again. <laughs> <laughs> I probably wouldn't go that quite that far, but I know what you mean. And and like yeah, if you get like a middling Bond movie, and I like I consider most, uh, I mean. James Bond fans don't hate me for this one, but I consider most of Sean Connery's Bond movies to be in that middling variety of oh, oh, it's like a sixties action movie. Yeah, so, you know, oh, how dare you, Rob? For <laughs> an outrage. Hey, what what time um, does Sean Connery get to Wimbledon? <laughs> I don't know what time. Tennish. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make that one up. I think that's an Adam and Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I wholeheartedly approve of that. That's yeah, great. I think Sean Connery, um, but... Roger Moore, all the early ones—they're all just quite wooden, aren't they? Well, I love I love the Roger Moore ones because Roger Moore's Bond is is ridiculous. Um, it like he starts off from a place where he's dealing with with like voodoo, and then just gets progressively sillier from there, um, and, and reaches reaches peak terrible bondness when he's out in space shooting laser guns and it's like yes go terrible campy bond movies this is what we want and like the pierce brosnan movies kind of the first one goldeneye is genuinely a really really good action movie and like there's no getting around it's probably the best james bond movie it is awesome um and and then like the next three are like really really stupid and that's what makes them so enjoyable to watch Um, but i do like the daniel craig ones um I thought that um, old Skyfall was actually a really good movie because basically it just wasn't a Bond movie and it wasn't really like done like a spy movie. It was more like a sort of um, look at... It was kind of a look at how broken you'd have to be to be a secret agent, right. to be a trained killer. Um, See, and, I don't want that from Bond. The way they frame that in the film. I, I want you don't silly want that Bond. From Bond you... Yeah, I, I, only, I only want like 
Pierce Brosnan on a sort of long black night Rider boat jumping over the Millennium <laughs> Dome or whatever the hell he did. And is it Tomorrow Never Dies? The one where he like they, they it was all it was the Millennium, so uh, they got the Millennium Dome in there, and he goes he rides the boat down the street or something. That's what I want from Bond. That sounds about right. Yeah, I don't want quit. <laughs> I don't want to think about anything. But <laughs> I do. I I generally I generally agree with you when it comes to Bond movies. But I do I do think Skyfall was actually a really great film. I never saw um, it. There's one really stupid. There's one really stupid bit in it where he gets into he gets thrown into a ring with a Komodo dragon and then he's having a fist fight whilst there's a Komodo dragon running around and you're like, what the fuck is this doing? And what what is this scene doing in this drama about spies? Get this out of here. That that's suitably like perfect, silly. Like deconstruct. Yeah, but it's so out of place. Like there's this terrible CGI Komodo dragon. And I I turned to Katie when we were watching it and was like, why did they not get a real komodo dragon and then i realized instantly like if it was a real komodo dragon daniel craig would be dead right now as would the other guy because the komodo dragon would kill them and i was like ah oh, but you know for the sake of realism surely you've got to take that chance instead of doing a terrible cgi komodo dragon yeah i'm sure he doesn't do his own stunts yeah i uh, i i imagine you're right he doesn't he's like daniel craig's a bit of a bit of a hard man but i'm not sure whether he'd do all of his own stunts Speaking of so, Komodo dragons, we saw a Komodo dragon in Honolulu Zoo, and it was oh, you um, what, mate? Yeah, we saw one, but it was it was it wasn't very big. It was a disappointingly small Komodo dragon, and it was really lethargic. It was just sitting there, like not really doing much. In the manner, the same manner of the iguana, that was a couple of cages down. You know how iguanas just sit there and they don't move. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, it was the really lethargic Komodo dragon, not very scary at all. See, that's what they're like a lot of the time, is they're like sort of lazy. Uh, they they do generally get quite big, though. I think they're at least two meters long. Yeah, this one was um, not even a meter and a half, I'd say. Barely over a meter. Maybe it was like a teenager. but Yeah, maybe it was a little kid Komodo dragon. But yeah, they are, from from what I know about Komodo dragons, and I do love Komodo dragons, they're one of my, one of my favorite animals. If I could have any animal as a like trained pet, I'd probably have a Komodo dragon. Yeah. Like, could you just imagine if it was like someone tried to break into your house and it'd be like, oh, don't worry, at worst it's going to be a dog and there's a goddamn <laughs> Komodo dragon waiting for them. Yeah. Like that, that, that would be great. Or like, or like just sitting on the back of a Komodo dragon as it takes you to work. Yeah. Or you could just, you like, could just walk it around the neighborhood happen? as if it was a dog or take it to like dog obedience classes and be like, yep, here's my dog. <laughs> Right, I've never seen a dog like that. What breed is it? It's it's the lesser known Komodo dragon dog. Yeah. Um, can you just imagine that having a cuddle with a Komodo dragon? (laughs) Like, just like, oi, oi, Barry. Barry is the name of my Komodo dragon, by the way. Barry, don't you get any of that bacteria-filled drool all over the house, please? You know, it's a mess to clean up. Keep your forked tongue away from my face. play fighting with you and its claws dig in and rip a huge chunk of meat out of your arm <laughs> yeah i think even even if it's trained and domesticated like if you had something like that or like you know there are people who domesticate tigers and stuff you'd still just worry that it was going to eat you wouldn't wouldn't you well i suppose yeah well it's it's a big thing it's a big thing in um like saudi arabia and dubai and places is you get all these these millionaire teenagers and, and guys in their 20s and they basically just go out and like buy 
tigers and lions to domesticate um and there's a lot of cases where like it will like eats a housekeeper or like it will maul a housekeeper and kill yeah um so yeah you you can't you can't always even if they're supposedly domesticated with an animal that is an apex predator like that you can't necessarily trust it when it when you want to give it a pat on the head yeah lions tigers not to be trusted komodo dragons on the other hand yeah yeah you can trust a komodo dragon yeah in the if you're near one it will probably try to kill you and say so you know what you get with a komodo dragon you know where you are scales fork yeah. tongue flesh-eating bacteria yep how did we get onto Komodo dragons? Oh, we were talking. We were talking about Bond. You know what? I would love for the guy who played Prentice in this film. I think his name was Ryan Doucet. I think it was his debut because I think it said introducing on the um, the cast names at the beginning. Um, so great debut performance. But I would love for him to play like some sort of Canadian James Bond spy film. That would be that would be awesome. But shirtless the whole time, obviously. Yeah, providing his shirt is always open and he's always showing off a a cheeky little bit of of pube area. (laughs) Yeah. A nice bit of hip bone. Slowly poking down, you're like, oh, can I see the top of the peen? Not quite. (laughs) That's what we want out of Canadian James Bond. Yeah. You don't get to see his peen, but you do see the peen of his his angry stepfather. Which is you do, you quite do. bold. I mean, that I think I'm going to assume that the guy did his own stunts, but there's a bit, the farcical bit that we talked about already. Um, Dottie goes to the loo in their house and then creeps upstairs looking for Stella, um, finds a bed and obviously lies down on the bed because she's tired. They've been driving for however long and she hasn't slept in a bed in a while. And the, the naked stepfather is next to her in the bed, so calamity ensues but he sort of stands up and then she sits up and promptly knocks her face into his penis and you get to see it from that angle and it's it looks real enough that i'm sure that the pain was genuine what do you reckon yeah i reckon so but you know that's a great story to tell is like imagine if you're an actor and you're like you know what my my crowning achievement is that the lady who played the pigeon lady from home alone 2 Headbutted my penis. <laughs> oh yeah, she was the pigeon lady. That's where yeah. I recognised her from. <laughs> I knew I recognised her from somewhere, but I hadn't made the connection. Ah, oh. it's yeah, it's it's a great scene though, isn't it? That it's it's so funny, and then like it just gets it gets sillier and sillier. So he goes down and jumps onto the truck as they're trying to drive off. Yeah, and so you've got this naked guy rolling around on the. <laughs> it's yeah, it's great. This naked so guy with the moustache. He looks like a sort of pinched, furious Freddie Mercury. Yes, yeah, furious Freddie. And then eventually the situation is explained and calmed down. They all come back inside. And then it's, it's sort of said in, you know, something like just about three lines, basically, between Prentice and his mother, where you get the idea that Prentice has gone there to try and get her to, to come away because it's implied that the stepfather is is abusive and she's she's like you can't stay here and whatever whereas he's told them he's coming back because she's dying and it's not clear whether she is or not which is obviously all that confusion i think is quite a good look at complicated family life and again how to try and explain that to people so when prentice says to stella i don't know how to explain you 
really, actually, he's talking about the fact that he can't explain his own family life either. And he's gone there to try and understand and explain it. And he can't really. And that kind of that's the kind of stuff all happens in, you know, a couple of very, very short scenes. And then he gets in the truck with them to go. And then the the naked stepfather reappears on the porch and shouts, who shat in my B-Day? it just that that scene reminded me of did you do you watch black books when it was on yeah yeah that's a great great an underrated show i think it's still it's it's really funny any of you who've not seen black books track it down for a piece of classic british comedy um but there's that great there's that great episode where bernard um is uh he's gone round for a a meal like a like a dinner party and he's turned up totally drunk and um like he's trying to piece together what he did to to offend the people so much so that he's not been invited back and that they're like blanking him in the street and everything like that yeah and i can't remember what the final thing is he did something to to um scar their son didn't he yeah and i think that i can't remember exactly what it is but um but there's this flashback scene where he's at the party and he's like um Oh, who has who has a wicker toilet? That's really stupid. <laughs> and it turns out that he's just shat on their wicker chair. Yeah, <laughs> it reminds me of um, a friend of mine who I will not name for reasons of dignity. Um, a number of years ago, came home very, very, very drunk. Um, um, opened up the lid of his very expensive MacBook Pro, thinking it was the toilet. Urinated all over it, and then went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> you did say, you did tell me who that was once, but I've forgotten. But uh when we're done when we're done yeah. recording, I'll ask you to remind me. It's not it's not a mutual yeah, friend. You that. don't you don't know him. But you, you yeah, you've you've told me before that I've forgotten him. That's a that's um, a great there, story. There, there is there is of course the classic story of how I met my drummer at university, which I think I've told you before, haven't I? Um, um I don't know, you could tell how, me again. How Chris Cap I, I will tell you because I think the dear listeners of this podcast need to hear a very interesting story about <laughs> Rob's childhood. Flashback time. Um, sh- shall I? Shall I? We need a jingle, I tell a the jingle whole story for this. In that yeah, the radio <laughs> four voice. <laughs> it's your your book at bedtime. <laughs> this is your book at bedtime with Rob, and uh, Rob Gordon is here to tell you a little bit about what happened to one of his friends at university. So, at university, Rob Gordon played in a band called the Domino Cut. They weren't very good, but they had a lot of fun. Um, made up of this band, there was Rob on guitar and vocals, Ed Blake on bass, and Christopher Cap, who played the drums. Now, Christopher Cap joined the band um, a little bit later than others, so there was a, a constantly moving lineup of people leaving university and things like that. Um, Christopher Cap joined three months after the start of university. Um, He joined because he saw some flyers that had been put around asking for a drummer to play in a band in his new halls of residence, which he had just moved to. And it was the same halls of residence that Rob and the other guitarist at the time, um, a guy called Craig, were um, living in. Um, So Chris joined up and we all had a lot of fun. Um, And one day we asked him, Chris, why did you change the halls of residence you're in and move to Burke's Grange? Um, we're not we're not unhappy about it. We're very happy that you've come to join us. 
um, but we're just wondering why you moved. I've just remembered. And the so, end of the so, story. <laughs> so, carry on, carry on. Sorry, I interrupted you. I'll, I'll try to get back into the groove of this. Um, yep. So, so Chris replied to Rob. Um, I was living in another halls of residence with a roommate. Um, quite soon into the term, he came back from a night out and was so drunk that he pulled down his trousers and pooed all over his pillow. Now, this is not a very pleasant experience, but what came after this is what really scarred Chris and made him move to a different halls of residence. Because it turns out that this person, um, this, this roommate of his, did not clean this pillow, but instead simply turned it over, let it dry, and then continued to sleep on this pillow for the following few weeks. At the end of this time, Chris decided it was time to move on to a different part of his life. That was a good, um, good ending sentence. That sounded a little bit, little bit Winnie the Pooh there. <laughs> Literal Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yes, I, I, I remembered that so, yeah, story my... about halfway through. Yeah, the the poo pillow guy. Yeah, my my old my old bandmate. He he moved tools of residence um, because his old roommate shat on his pillow and then didn't clean it. And just kept sleeping on the shit pillow. Ugh. That that's why he moved. That's that's um, horrible. There were some classy people at Exeter, wasn't there, Paddy? Yeah, yeah. Some some real real gentlemen. <laughs> uh, how did we get onto the poo pillow story from Cloudburst? That how did we how did we get down this tangent? At this point, I I am very very lost. Usually, I'm quite good at remembering the <laughs> the wormholes that we're going down, but I'm incredibly jet lagged still so i can't really remember i haven't really had a proper night's sleep since sunday i'm gonna say or monday yeah it's thursday now oh wow yeah because wow. it was two overnight flights back and you know i just i can't really sleep on planes and then they then ba lost our luggage on the way back as well and they used like a really no yeah they use a really like dodgy courier company and I was like googling like the the courier company and checking them out, and loads of people were saying like, yeah, they showed up unannounced in the middle of the night and stuff. So I stayed up most of last night just in case we would get the knock at the door with the bags, because apparently loads of other people were then like, yeah, they showed up and like then left, and then it took us like two weeks to get it back because you weren't they weren't in when they tried to deliver the bags. So we got them back today, which is which is great. Um, so yeah, the 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 journey back was not 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 the best having to go back through through vegas which is a bizarre and terrible place and then yeah having our bags lost on the way on the way back no no that sucks man i'm sorry to hear that but that's all right we're home, at least we're home now back now yeah but yeah i'm so i'm not i'm not thinking super straight but actually watching this film last night while i was staying up waiting for the bags really really took my mind off it and really really helped and it was a good antidote to it as well because it was very a very accessible and easy watch while still yeah being very 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 emotional as well i mean to, towards the yeah, end yeah. so obviously yeah spoiler spoilers coming up but towards the end um the stella decides suddenly that um or the night before the wedding that she can't that she can't do it she doesn't want to get married but then eventually they do get down to the um to the courthouse but then the granddaughter shows up um, and then it's a, she eventually kind of Dorothy eventually tells her that they're 
lesbians and then she's kind of she processes it and eventually she's okay with it but then they're on their way they get their marriage license after (laughs) Stella goes down to the courthouse and bullies the guy because he's like oh you have to wait five days and she just kind of she narrows her eyes and goes to him who else is waiting to get married here in the queue ahead of us here in bum fuck Nova Scotia (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so then, then they're, they're driving, is, where are they driving to get married? Some nice location or whatever, because the courthouse wedding gets interrupted by the granddaughter showing up and then they're driving off somewhere else. Um, and Dottie knows, I think that she, she sort of keels over and she's about to die. So, and Prentice has the marriage license. So he's like, he marries them then and there in the front of the truck. Um, and it's really, really funny and he takes to it really well and he's like by the power vested in me and puts on the little show and then the next scene is Dottie's funeral which is really really amazing because I feel like a more mainstream or less confident screenwriter wouldn't have the confidence at that point to be like well what more needs to happen they they needed to get married they got married that's kind of that's almost it. So there are just two scenes after that. You got the the funeral, in which Prentice literally dances on the grave, <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah. um, there's just one final scene with just Stella and Prentice back at the cloudburst and just kind of talking and reminiscing, um, and that's it. You don't know what kind of arrangement they've made or what's going to happen, but you know that the two of them are still there and they forged this relationship as well. And it's like through discovering Prentice, maybe Stella has finally come to to be able to explain herself and she got married to Dottie just before she died and it was all good so it ends on a really really happy note even though Dottie's dead which is quite quite interesting I still felt kind of really uplifted by it even though it ended in a death which I think is a real testament to the power of their story and the story and how it how it went off yeah it's a really powerful movie it's a really emotional movie um like like you were you were severely jet lagged when you watched it um without going into details that our listeners do not need to hear about my boring life um i am having a shit time of it at the minute and i was just like oh my god this movie i just wanted to like curl up with like a blanket and 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 just lose myself in this film um it's that powerful to watch and it's that engaging to watch um and so it's yeah it's it's great um it it ticks all the boxes you'll laugh you'll cry you'll probably fall in love um it's yeah it's wonderful absolutely wonderful yeah it's yeah it's it's uplifting it's engaging it's emotional it's very it's a it's a slow burn but in the best possible way yeah i really really liked it and i want to check out the the writer director guy's other works it seems like he's he's written a lot of plays that then became films and stuff which i guess is a good template for learning how to write dialogue and intimacy and that kind of thing but yeah i'd like to see more of his work and i hope he does really really well and it's interesting that i guess it was written by a man as well i mean i don't know much about his background obviously but i think i went into it assuming that um a romance about two older lesbians would have been written by an older woman um, which was obviously a sort of reverse prejudice on my part. Why couldn't it be written by a man? But it did surprise me, I guess. Yeah, I'm just having a quick look at um, at Tom Fitzgerald's background. Um, and uh, so his first movie was a movie called The Hanging Garden, which is um, 
about a, a, a an adolescent who comes out as being gay um and so i don't know whether he not i haven't looked at any of his other um at, at any of his other movies but i wonder whether that's a recurring theme in his films or something like that mm-hmm. um so if i so yeah i'd definitely be interested in seeing more of of, of this director yeah me too i'd be interested in seeing the drafts of all the different swearing lines as well, how many of them were changed to make them sort of maximum funny or that kind of thing. I'd, I'd want to know. Like one of my favorite ones is Stella. Um, when she gets in the car with the hitchhiking guy, who's a bit, who's a bit uptight and a bit proper, who doesn't like that she's cussing. And then he eventually tells her to get out of the car and she kind of whacks the car with her bag as it's driving off. And she shouts, take that stick out of your ass and suck on it. You uptight son of a bitch. <laughs> that was i think that was one of my favorite scenes actually yeah that was great um, and then there's a, a bit where there's a lot of kind of quite wise and right lines in it but there's a really good scene where the three of them just before they get to um princess's mom and dad's they're like kind of or is it after maybe they're on the beach um and they say it's, it's like been a really nice day and they've had like a little kiss in the rain and stuff Prentice has washed his clothes in the sea and stuff and they're all having a laugh and the genuinely the, the friendship and the fun between them feels very real at that point as well. And it's really uplifting. But she says to him, if you have a perfect day, hold on to it like it's your dick. And then he says, with a firm grip, twice a day. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think my favorite, my favorite line in the movie, um, it, it again goes back to... Uh, scene at Prentice's parents' house um, where um, where there's already been that sort of frisson uh, between them all and uh, and they're sitting around having breakfast and uh, and Prentice's mother is giving is giving Stella and Dot breakfast and then this the, the dad is like oh you're giving these people my breakfast um, and she's like uh, the mum's like oh it's just eggs and sausage Guillaume <laughs> and his reply is she already had my sausage and then Stella pipes up like instantly it's like well now she needs a bigger one <laughs> yeah those are all really really good lines there's just enough of them to make it a very very funny thread through the film yeah but without it being being Rob Schneider that's great yes there, there's no Rob Schneiderisms in this movie yeah so how many oh, what kind of what kind of scale do we are we going to rate use to rate this one oh god it's quite a <laughs> how how many dangling penises <laughs> out of 20 <laughs> well i hesitate to give anyone the mental image of this many but um i i think i i could go as far as 19 out of 20 even you know, you're always hesitant oh, wow. to give yeah, it a that... full, to give it the full twenty, um, because I don't know that such a that that a perfect film exists. But yeah, there was nothing about this film that I that I didn't like. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd probably go, like I'm I'm saving the nineteen and the twenty scores for like something special. Yeah, and, like this movie is very special, but I don't think it quite reaches that. Is saving it that for my um, peak for me. The wedding DVD made by my great uncle. Yeah, Frank. I'm saving. 
I'm I'm saving it for Frank's wedding DVD. Um, whereas, so yeah, I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it an 18 hanging penises out of 20. Um, cool. because it is it is amazing. Watch this movie if if you've not seen it. Go and watch this film. It's it's yeah one of the best things I've seen in a few years. If you watch one film this um, year, particularly for this, make it yes, make it if you first. if you like this kind if you like this kind of um this kind of film this intimate kind of film then definitely watch it because it's it's great it's it's wonderfully wonderfully created all right so what's next man it's your it's your choice it is and like we've just gone for a movie which neither of us knew um and i think maybe we should go for something that i know that we both know and that we both love yeah um so how would you feel about watching elizabeth town with me that would be that would be great we've talked about it before on this podcast um and i know that it's a film we both like but i haven't seen it in quite a long time as well so it'd be yeah mm. that's a very very good call actually yeah and especially as it's you a know, film that it divides few... people has has quite an interesting reputation and a lot of baggage yeah good call I'll look forward to it. Alrighty, yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you would like to share? Um, I don't think so, no. Um I've been um do have you got any any sensations updates? I mean we the supercut is out there obviously, so if you need to revise on the sensations history, go back and listen to the previous episode. Or oh no, it's the one before the previous episode, right? But um yeah, yes, I might yeah, it's only the one before. Yeah, do you have any any sensations updates? I I don't know. Um, I think maybe this is a good point for us to go back now that the supercut is available. Perhaps for us to go back and listen to it and start truly solidifying the kind of movie that we want sensations to be. This is the and, deep work put into. Yeah, you know, I think it's time for us to put together a real plan. We can we can get one of those like you know when people get obsessive about serial killers and they have the big cork board up and they're putting all of the pins between the different threads. Yep. Or like in, um, we need to do that. So in Five Hundred to... Days of Summer, where inexplicably Joseph Gordon-Levitt's then... apartment has a giant blackboard and he's able to do all his architectural drawings on it, even though he hasn't moved apartments, but suddenly it's there in his apartment. It's like that. The big, <laughs> yes, the big blackboard exactly. wall is is just going to appear, and we're going to write down all the plot points on it. I mean, I mean, you, you I know you're kidding, Paddy, but I've just looked behind me, and the back wall <laughs> of my living room has turned into a black chalkboard. Yeah, wait, wait. But, but what's on. concerning? There we go. I just turned off the light. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, it's like magic. Um, what, what's what's very concerning is that the the um, chalkboard behind me has got um, "I hate you, Rob" written on it out of nowhere. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, dear listeners you just missed a fantastic face from paddy uh, I'll, I'll take a i'll take a um, screenshot there we go excellent i think that needs to be the the um the artwork for this week's episode paddy actually yeah definitely i'm down i'm down just for freaking face. everyone out with my my scary face <laughs> cool so yeah, we'll we'll get the sensations chalkboard going for next time. 
Um, we don't have any any listener mail or updates from the last few episodes. So um, if you if you do have anything you want to share about the last few, coming to America, the wedding singer, Sensation Supercut, all of that stuff, please get in touch. Tweet us at Big Boys Don't Pod. Um, email us at Big Boys Don't Cry Podcast at gmail.com. Always love to hear from you. And go watch Cloudburst. Yes, please get in touch. Yeah, right. go watch Cloudburst, you idiots. <laughs> you, you fools. Go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. It's been nice talking to you, Ant, and we will be back in your ears next week. Bye. Alrighty. Can't wait. Bye.